Well, tonight is March 14th, 2018. The the name of tonight's sermon is Tower of Power. Tower of Power. If you're like me, you remember a certain group, uh, a funky little group that played since the 1960s. Curtis is the only one in the room that's shaking his head up and down. It's all right. Me and Curtis have a lot in common. Uh, And uh, so Tower of Power. Uh, As we get started tonight, I think tonight is going to be a very, very important. uh, I think this season for LCM is very important. And let me talk to you just for a minute about that. Um, Like David, I believe that we're going to defeat lions and bears and the giants that have been plaguing us in this season. I honestly think that. I think that what the Lord is doing, it's an amazing thing. And I'm just going to tell you everything that I'm thinking so that we can all be on the same page. And so that you could see if I'm right in a few weeks. Uh, We've sent some of the finest men that I have ever met all at the same time to different countries. I'm excited about that for a lot of reasons. I'm very glad for them. You know what else as a pastor, as just a pure-blooded pastor, is I'm excited for us here too. I'm excited that as we get devoted in our prayers that each and every one of us, not a singular one, but we all get devoted to prayer. I'm glad because it's going to start changing lives. As we focus our prayers on them, I believe the Lord's going to do some things in us as well. As we are here, you heard it during the the worship time tonight. I think this is going to demand of us. Everybody say demand. I think the Lord is demanding that some of us rise up and take our place rightfully in this body. I remember a prophecy that Miss Joe gave, and I keep coming back to it because uh, this is exactly where my heart is. That there were spots that were beginning to open up in the army of the Lord. And it was our job here to begin to step forward and to take those places. My wife at New Year's, it's time for us to step up and take our place. I'm reminding us of what the Lord has been saying to us. This is nothing new. What I expect over the next three weeks or so while our friends, while our brothers and comrades in arms are evangelizing the world. They spent their day today in Red Square preaching the gospel. That's what they spent their day doing. We can kind of laugh at the hats, the little shop that they're in, the police officers that were all around, and they spent their entire day Bringing the gospel to people who have never heard the gospel. What about us today? What about our part here? I think that the next three weeks are going to provide an opportunity for us. We had uh, one of our youngest members that's in the room give a word in tongues today. Boy, that's exciting. Uh, By the way, I am so proud of, of her for doing that. And I think there may have been another one or two that was there that we kind of missed out on. Not fussing, I'm just acknowledging what is really here in the room. It is time for each of us, each of us to step up and take our place. I think this is going to be a time of unprecedented growth in your life if you'll allow it to be that. How many of you want some unprecedented growth in you? Yeah, I think it's time for us to do this. This is not a negative against you nor against anybody who's not here. This is saying we have an opportunity. Daniel Smith and the Smiths have an opportunity. Spencer has an opportunity. Paul and Grace have an opportunity to step up, to learn what it's like to be a part of this body, to learn what it's like to be active in their faith, to learn what it's like to really go from where we are to what we desire to be. Anybody ever, ever been in between of where you used to be and where you want to go? Anybody in that? Anybody understand that? Yeah, me too. We're going to look at the Word, and the Word of God is going to instruct us in this. Turn to Luke chapter 11. Let's get into the Word tonight. Wow. Fast. Sometimes I don't know if y'all are saying these things in faith or if you're just that fast. But I like it either way. In Jesus' name, I'm there. Flip, flip, flip. That's, that's fine. Praise God. Get there. I think like David, we're going to learn to kill some lions and some bears. We're going to learn how to use the word of God and his spirit to kill some of those things that have been attacking us and stealing and, and, and making, uh, carrying off prey in our midst. We're going to, we're going to get together and we're going to learn how to do this. David had to learn on the lions and the bears, how to destroy them so that he could get to the giants. 
says in 1 Samuel 17 that David went after it. When a lion would come and steal a little lamb, it says that he went after it. Come on now. We need some people in this room who will go after it. Amen? Amen. Right, Ray? Ray Lionhearted Lugensen is here tonight. It's not just a moniker that we're giving him. It's because I know that that's inside of him. If you've ever been with Ray on a mission field, you will know that there are a few that are as lion-hearted as he is. We need some lion-hearted men and women in this room. We need to be able to operate in that. We're going to take an incredible team of men to India next month. Man, I'm going to, I can't wait to, to let loose some of these lions. But we need some lions operating in this place. In Luke chapter 11, let's look at verse 5. Then he said to them, By the way, the context of this is Jesus teaching them how to pray, teaching his disciples how to pray. So immediately after that, which by the way, I think is why the Lord gave me the word for tonight that he did. I think it's because we're entering into a season of prayer and because you're taking this so seriously, you've gotten the attention of the Lord of all creation. Then he said to them, suppose one of you has a friend and he goes to him at midnight and says, friend, lend me three loaves of bread because a friend of mine on a journey has come to me. And I have nothing to set before him. Uh, you know what? I, I, don't ha- I don't have enough. I don't have what I'm supposed to have. Then the one inside answers, hey, don't bother me. The door's already locked. My children are in bed with me. I can't get up and give you anything. Uh, by the way, it's kind of funny, huh? I can't give you anything. No, you, you can. You're just not going to. Right? I want to encourage you from the very get-go. There's no, I have no secret tonight about anything that I'm going to tell you. Sometimes some of us in this room are saying, I can't do certain things for the Lord. And it's just not true. It's just not true. You're in a place of comfort. You're in a place that you're not quite sure if you want to make that effort. If you're not quite sure if you make that effort, if it's going to be correct or not. I can't get up and give you anything. Reminds me of a widow that says, I don't have anything to give. Oh yeah, I do have a little oil. Isn't that our first reaction? Yeah, I don't have anything to give the Lord. No, he's given you something that you can give to him. I tell you, though, he will not get up and give him the bread because he is his friend. (laughs) Yet because of the man's boldness. Everybody say boldness. Boldness. Because of the man's boldness. There's a little footnote there in my Bible. Boldness. Or persistence. He will get up and give him as much as he needs. Hey, my friends tonight, the Lord's going to give you as much as you need if you stay bold and if you stay persistent in what he's told you to do. If you just don't give up, if you just don't slack back, if you just don't shrink back, the Lord will in fact do everything that he's promised you. What has the Lord promised you? What has the Lord promised your family? Get bold about that. What gifts has he given you to operate inside of this body? Be bold and persistent about the use of your gifts in this place. It doesn't take a microphone for you to be able to use your gifts for the Lord. If that were the case, there's only singular people who can do it at a time. But if he's given you gifts, it is for the benefit of the body. You are here to benefit the body. Of course, we expect that you will be benefited by the body But uh, I think we're getting to a point of maturity in us as a church that we need to be and to show up here expecting to be a blessing to the body. To use our gifts that he will use as you are faithful to be persistent, to be bold. That God will give you as much as you need. Let's not focus on what you need, my friends. Let's not have prayers that are myopic, focused on ourselves. But I have this need. Amen. The Lord instructs us that we're supposed to pray for our needs. We offer that. Amen. When you're here, what if you started thinking about what can I do to bless someone around me? What can I do not just to be sweet, not to just high five them and hug them, but what if, Lord, would you give me a word for someone the next time that we walk in these doors? Lord, what can I genuinely be praying for someone here in this room about? There are people who have been shackled and they need to get all of the shackles off. There are people like Lazarus who've been brought to life but need still need the grave clothes taken off. Lazarus, come forth. And then Jesus turns to the people around him and says, now you take off the grave clothes. Only God can cause someone to come to life in this place. 
Only the power of a risen Savior can move somebody from darkness to light. But it is our job to help them get untangled from the things that they're in. It is the job of the body, of those standing around to say, you need to be free from this, and we can see it. Anybody ever had a blind spot, something you can't see? Look, be my friend. If I got something in my teeth, just tell me. Don't be embarrassed, just tell me. I'd rather be embarrassed for a second and get it right than to walk around and be embarrassed all day long. What a silly, simple example, right? Hey, if you see something inside of my life, man, bring the word and help me correct it. Let's look at each other, not setting anyone on a pedestal, but realizing that we are a body and we desperately need each other. Let's look at verse nine. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. Do you understand that those words, it may say ask, But the connotation, the meaning of that word is more like beg and plead. Do you beg in a single instance? Can you beg in a single instance? Or is begging an ongoing kind of thing? When it says that you're asked, that you are to ask and it will be given to you, we've got to ask and then ask again and then ask again and then ask again. You know how long you're supposed to ask? Until it's given to you. How many of us ask for something for a little while and then our prayers die? How many of you are, are getting impassioned about your prayer these first couple of days? Amen. What about day 19 out of 21? I'm going to tell us that we're going to be just as fervent as we were on day one. As a matter of fact, we should be better at it by day 19. Because I'm not just going to keep doing it the same way. I'm going to keep asking the Lord to show me something better, to show me something more as I'm praying for their men, as I'm praying for their families, as I'm praying for a word. I'm going to go after it more and more and more because you know why? I want to be one of the bold, persistent ones that are going to get what I need from the Lord. And I want them to get what they need. So I'm going to just keep asking. Hey, those things that I'm not quite sure about, I can't quite figure out yet. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to keep seeking. I'm going to keep seeking his word. I'm going to keep seeking his spirit. I'm going to keep seeking fellowship with you that I might seek and seek and seek. But I haven't done it yet. I haven't seen the results yet. It's okay. We're going to keep seeking. Yeah, but I'm not where I want to be, pastor. Yeah, neither am I. So welcome to the club. Join the club. How are you going to ever get there, though? We're surrounded by people who don't want to ask and keep asking who don't want to seek and keep seeking, who don't want to knock and keep knocking. It kind of hurts my hands when I knock too much. Really? Really? If you're desperate for something, that's the problem is we're not desperate enough for His Spirit. We presume that it's someone else, somewhere else, at some other time, we'll go ahead and and do what we need. So we all get in a passive kind of mode. We don't mean to. We're not passive people. But we kind of get in in a let's sit back. Let's kind of sit back and wait. Man, we've got such a powerful church. We really do. We've got an Acts kind of church. Amen. You're absolutely right. So what we're going to do is we're going to come and show up on a Wednesday night, on a Sunday morning, on a Friday night discipleship helps. And you know what we're going to do? We're going to come back and we're going to kind of relax into a receiving mode. Is this true or not? What if we started pressing in? What happens if we start going, no man is demanding this of me, but I think my God is demanding that I start leaning in and going, what can I contribute instead of what can I receive? What can I, what can I, Lord, I want to learn your word. I'm going to ask you for it. I'm going to seek you for it. I'm going to knock until the door is open to me because I want to press in. I want to come here and receive everything that I can. Why? For, for a grab bag, something for me? No, so that I can use it to build the kingdom. How are you going to get where you want to get? It demands of us that we start pressing in. It demands of us not that we come and sit back and go, well, I hope somebody else got all this figured out. Man, I hope Pastor Matt's got some worship for me because I need some worship. Aren't you supposed to enter his gates with thanksgiving? Aren't you supposed to enter his courts with praise? Aren't you supposed to be coming with something into God's presence? 
If you want to know the difference between the real men and women of God and everyone else, you start coming with the expectancy. You're ready to be used of the Lord. You are submissive to the authorities that are over you. Wives are submissive to their husbands. Husbands are submissive to Jesus Christ and the leadership here. We're all submissive to the Lord. And what happens is things start moving in a powerful way. You know how I know this is important? Because he started talking to us men about having patriarchal power and toxic masculinity. And then there was a a time where we talked about how that we're not supposed to have anything in reserve. Three lives and no reserve. And then we started talking about the heart-turning superpower that women have. You know what the Lord is doing? He's putting our families in the right order. He, he's encouraging us now. Go ahead and say, hey, this is important. You guys know these things, but what's important is that you start doing them, that you're putting them into practice, that you're doing them so well. It's not something that you know. It's almost like he's trying to move it from the head to the heart. He's moving it from what you know and what you could say and how well you can mimic it to how real you can make it in your life. Don't you sit back anymore. Well, Pastor Eric, I mean, he's going to have the right word. Yeah, you're right. He is. What about you? What about you? You know, I mean, Bosch. Wow, what an incredible elder. Our elders are incredible. Charlie and Baj, incredible. So you're just going to sit back? You press in. You ask. You seek. You knock. You do everything that you can. You do everything that you can to continue to do these things. To press into God's presence. I want to encourage you today. I want to challenge you today. I want to motivate and call it out of you today. The impression that just as we were talking, is just that leaning back. Can you, can, you, can you look at me for just a minute? Don't lean back anymore in here. Amen. Don't have a passive attitude that says, man, I love this place because I can receive incredible things. It's true. You're right in every way. But that keeps you from becoming what you're supposed to be. You're being bathed in the presence and you're not being transformed by the presence as much as you think until you engage. As a former school teacher, kids used to say, yeah, I know, I know what's, I'm ready for this test, Mr. Sutherland. Yeah, we'll see. Because I'm about to put it on you and we'll see exactly what you know. I'll see what you can do. This is an important time for us. Let's be tenacious. Let's turn to Isaiah chapter 41. Isaiah chapter 41. <laughs> Why aren't we tenacious, though? Because we truthfully think sometimes just that other people will do it. Sometimes we're we're intimidated by what's going on. What if I'm wrong? Yeah, you're going to be wrong. It's okay. If you're going to step forward and not lean back, you know what one thing is for sure? You're going to get it wrong at times. If you can't get over the idea that you're afraid to fail or you're afraid to fail in front of people, you will never... Listen to me. You will never achieve what God has for you. Because you'll never be a man or a woman who does anything. You'll only do what's within your realm of strength and you'll never get into his realm of strength. You'll only do what you think you can accomplish or are already good at and you'll never get into the supernatural. You'll only stay in the natural. Isaiah chapter 41 and look at verse 8. But you, O Israel, my servant... Jacob, whom I have chosen, you descendants of Abraham, my friend, I took you from the ends of the earth, from the farthest corners. I called you. I said, you are my servant. I have chosen you and have not rejected you. We know he's clearly speaking to the nation of Israel here. The beautiful part of Isaiah is here's here's a couple of things that you can do. You can look at this and understand that he is clearly speaking to a nation. I have called you. You are my servant. Because of what we know that's hermeneutically sound about the word, if it's looking, if it's talking about Israel, we can put Jesus in there. We know that it's also true. You are my servant. I have chosen you and not rejected you. We're going to look at this tonight and we're going to get encouragement for ourselves as well. Not first, 
We're going to understand the right layers of who he's speaking to. But we can also be encouraged by this passage. Look at verse 10. So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you by my righteous right hand. This verse has been in my mind and my heart. Anybody been reading around Isaiah 41 lately? Yeah. Isaiah 41, 10, do not fear. Why does it say do not fear? Y'all got to help me tonight. Why does he say don't fear? Because it's our natural tendency to fear things. To fear being embarrassed. To fear, to fear not getting it right. To fear that we're going to fail. Whatever it is. But what if I try to do this with my family? What if I try to lead my family and it doesn't work? <laughs> yeah, there may be seasons where it looks like it doesn't work. But if you're doing what he says, he says, I am with you. I am with you. Come on, what, what can't you do if he's with you? If you were certain that you wouldn't fail on the next thing that you attempted, if you were certain that the Lord would be with you, if you were certain that you would have any resource that you could ever need, what would you do in your life? Would you be doing then what you're doing now? I mean, if you were 100% certain that you couldn't fail, what would you do? That's the way we're supposed to be living right now. Because if you can't say, yes, I am doing right now what I would be doing if I had some type of, of a surety from the heavens that I would not fail, man, I, I'm, doing, I, I'm doing it right now. My life looks like me going after it and saying, I know that he's going to work it out. If your life doesn't look like that, then this verse is for you. Do not fear because he's with you. Do not be dismayed. <laughs> Why? Because I am your God. That should keep you from being dismayed. That should keep you from being discouraged. I won't even ask you who's discouraged in the room. I'll skip that part. I won't even ask you if you're dismayed right now in certain areas of your life. I'm just going to remind you that He is God. And He is with us. I will strengthen you. You know what that word is there? Strengthen is amats. Like rock, kazak, amats, be strong and courageous. This word is actually the one that is used for courageous in Joshua. He will give you the strength to be courageous. Come on now, as we step out and we become obedient, it, does, does the term courageous, is that a moniker? Is that a title? Is that a descriptor that someone wants to use for your life? Are you courageous? Because if he's with us and he's our God, we are supposed to be courageous. We're supposed to have a courageous faith that says, you know what? I'd rather pray for this person and look like a fool than not pray for them. What if they don't get healed? Yeah, we know these things as a church, but do you do them? Is this the impact of your life on the people around you? Don't tell me what you know. Show me what you can do with His power at work in your life. Thank you. Praise God that you can quote things. Please work on studying the Word. But don't let that cause you to be to a point where you get conceited. It's amazing. People can get conceited and discouraged at the same time. They can get dismayed and conceited. Like they're not mutually exclusive. You can have both going on at the same time. And we never piece it together. Do not be dismayed, for I am with you. For I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. You know what the word uphold there is? It's to grasp. To hold. To be supportive. To seize. I am going to grab you from where you are and lift you up. With the power of my righteous right hand is what the Lord is saying to his people. Let me encourage you. He can do that with us as well. The phrase that I want to look at right now is I will strengthen you and I will help you. Come on, everybody say he will help me. He will help me. Say it again. He will help me. He will help me. 
What will you do different if you really get this down in your spirit tonight? That he will help me. That if he's called me to be something, you know what I need to start doing? I need to start working on it now. If he's called me to do something that I can see in the future, it's a calling. It's a life. It's a way of life. It's something that I don't yet have. You know what you need to do? You need to start doing that now. You need to start preparing yourself for that now. The biggest mistake that people wait is they, they think that they're just going to mark time. If you're marching, you mark time. You're just staying in the same place, but you're moving. You're not actually going anywhere. You're marking time. We've got people in this room who are just marking time. But Lord, I'm going to ask and seek. And you expect him to bring that to you. That's not how this works. It's not how it works where you get to stand put and make yourself the center of everything. That's not what you're trying to do. But you're marking time right here, expecting him to bring it to you. Lord, I need to have more faith. Would you just bring it to me? Lord, I need to have more power in my walk. Would you bring it over here? Because I'm right here. Look, I'm moving. Aren't you proud of me? Boy, I'm moving. I'm even in time. I got good rhythm, Lord. I'm right here. Would you bring that vision of what I'm supposed to be somewhere down there? Would you bring that to me now? Oh, he's not doing it. I'm so discouraged and so dismayed. I feel like this is simple, and yet I feel like it's very, very poignant for us tonight. To our friends who are watching by video, I don't know if this is going to make sense to you or at all. But this is for the people in this room, and I know it. We have to stop marking time. We have to stop staying put, expecting God Think about how ridiculous this is. I want God to change his plan and bring it here so it's easy on me. How is that not selfish? How is that not making an idol of our own thoughts and desires? How is that not making an idol of what he's supposed to be doing in our lives? Come on, man, I want to ask for it. I want to go after it. If he's telling me that I should be that one day, you know what you have to do? You have to start moving that way now. Yeah, but I don't know what that means. Yeah, you need to start moving and you'll, you'll start figuring these things out. If you're called to be a minister, you know what you start doing? You start getting your, your home in order. Amen. I see it. It's down there. I'm, I'm going now. Man, if it's far enough away, you can take a bunch of steps and it still looks the exact same distance away, doesn't it? Man, I'm just walking. As long as you're not on a treadmill, you know what you're going to happen? is You're, you're going to eventually get there. But you've got to go after this thing. What is he calling you to do? What gifts has he given? Then start using them. If you fail, I promise, by the way, I promise you will. Everybody raise your right hand. Say, I understand understand that I will fail fail if I really try to do something for the Lord. Put your hand down. Hey, we all just said it. We all know. We're going to have rotten attitudes at times. We're going to pretend like we're right and we're going to be so wrong it's not even funny. Our pastors and elders are going to have to correct us and smack us down. Our brothers and sisters are going to have to laugh at us and be like, that's the wrong attitude. Preach it. But the mistakes that you want to make are because you're moving towards him. Say, he will help me. He will help you as you're walking towards what he is calling you to do. He will help you as you are moving towards him. As you're asking and seeking and knocking. You get the help of the heavens with you. He will help me. He's going to do it. He is going to, in fact, do this with us. Genesis 49. Let's get through some scriptures here. Genesis 49. Let's look at verse 22. Genesis 49, 22, it says this, Joseph is a fruitful vine, a fruitful vine near a spring whose branches climb over a wall. With bitterness, archers attack him. They shot at him with hostility, but his bow remained steady. His strong arm stayed limber. Because of the hand of the mighty one of Jacob, because of the shepherd, the rock of Israel, because of your father's God who... Oh, yeah. Come on now. You see these parallelisms that are going on here in verse 24? 
because of the hand of the mighty one of Jacob, because of the shepherd, the rock of Israel, because of your father's God who helps you. Come on, man. I know this is specifically for for Joseph here. But he promised this later on in Isaiah as well. I'm going to help you. If you don't think you need help, then you're actually stiff arming the God of all creation. If you are wallowing in self-pity that says no one can help me in my state that I am in, you are stiff arming the God of all creation. Man, get going in it. Step forward. Don't lean back. Let's get him to help us. Say, he will help me. me. Say it again. He will help me. me. If you are trying, if you are moving, if you are in the fight, he will in fact help you. He will help you to raise your kids. He will help you to get your relationship with your wife or your husband in order. He will help you to get those lost relatives saved. He will help you in your job. He will help you with your finances. Because he has got a purpose for you. And he will in fact produce it in you if you will let him do this. If you will only trust that he is in fact faithful and he will help you. Turn to Psalm chapter 28. Psalm chapter 28. It says this in verse 1. To you I call, O Lord, my rock. Do not turn a deaf ear to me, for if you remain silent, I will be like those who have gone down to the pit. Don't you love this in David? He's like, yeah, you need to help me. Hey, to you I call, O Lord, my rock. Yeah, don't don't miss out what I'm saying to you. Don't turn a deaf ear. Come on, y'all know what a deaf ear is, right? Mama, 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 mama. Mommy, want to change your name when you have a young kid at the house. Don't want to be mom anymore. Don't want to be dad because you hear it all the time. You start turning a deaf ear because of the repetition of it. David's saying, yeah, I know I'm asking this a lot, but don't turn a deaf ear to me, please. Because I'm calling out to you, my rock. For if you remain silent, Lord, I need you to speak to me. I will be like those who have gone down to the pit. Hear my cry for mercy. As I call to you for help, as I lift my hands towards your most holy place. Let's look down in verse six. Praise be to the Lord, for he has heard my cry for mercy. And it only took four verses. Praise God. Sometimes it takes us a little longer than four verses in our life, doesn't it? Hey, Lord, don't don't refuse me. Don't turn a deaf ear to me. Praise be to the Lord, for he has heard my cry for mercy. The Lord is my strength. Huh, just like Isaiah tells us. And my shield, my heart trusts in him, and I am helped. Man, because the Lord promises to help. And here David is saying, yeah, I've been helped by the Lord. My heart leaps for joy, and I will give thanks to him in song. The Lord is the strength of his people. What's the strength of the people? The Lord is. We were singing Yahweh earlier. Yahweh, Yahweh. Man, that name is a strong tower that we can run to. The righteous can run into it and be safe. You can find a place of refuge. You can find the place of help. The Lord is the strength of his people, a fortress of salvation for his anointed one. Come on, he starts out in verse 7, and he's my strength, and he's my shield. And you know what happens when you understand that rightly? You realize he's not just your strength, but he's the strength of all the people. That he is a mighty Yeshua, a fortress of salvation for his anointed ones. Save your people and bless your inheritance by their shepherd and carry them forever. Wow, while the world around us is struggling to show how strong they are, we're saying, yeah, we don't have it. I need him to carry me at times. Okay, I always need him to carry me. The at times is really all the time. Because I always need him to help me. The second that I forget that I need his help and I'm like, great, I got this now. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm destitute. I will fall, fat, fall flat on my face every time. Speaking of, <laughs> right? Come on, let's turn to First uh, Samuel chapter 7. I want to share this with you. First Samuel chapter 7.
Let's look in verse 1. So the men of Kiriath-Jerim came and took up the ark of the Lord. By the way, what happens in the, in the chapter before is that five Philistine cities, they had captured the ark. The ark was placed by Dagon. Dagon falls down. They're now returning the ark back to the people of the Lord. They put it on a, a cart and they sent it off with some gifts. We'll just call them gifts for now because I don't want to get off into that. Sent some gold back. They were like, yeah, we made your God mad at us. Sorry. The enemy sends it back. Chapter 7, verse 1. So the men of Kiriath-Jerim came and took up the ark of the Lord. They took it in to Abinadab's house on the hill and consecrated Eleazar, his son, to guard the ark of the Lord. Come on, we've got to guard that thing. We've got to guard God's presence here in this place. Verse 2. It was a long time. Everybody say long time. time. It's a long time. It takes a long time to get where God wants you to get. You can't lose heart in the journey. It was a long time, 20 years in all, that the ark remained at Kiriath-Jerim. And all the people of Israel mourned and sought after the Lord. It was doing something in their heart to have the presence of God near. And Samuel said to those, to the whole house of Israel, if you are returning to the Lord with all your hearts, then rid yourselves of the foreign gods and the asterisk, and commit yourself to the Lord and serve him only. And he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. Part of what our prayer time should be doing right now in us is helping us to rid. If we're really going to go after the Lord with all of our hearts, this is what there is not a man, a woman, a child in this room who would say anything different. If I asked you now, are you going to serve the Lord with your whole heart? Of course, you'd be like, yes. If you are returning to the Lord with all of your hearts, then rid yourselves of the foreign gods. Rid yourselves of the foreign concepts. Rid yourselves of the things that we can still hold on to in a church like this that makes us just timid enough that we won't do what the Lord is asking us to do. That makes us sit back just long enough. You know, like when you're paying a bill at a restaurant. None of y'all have ever done this, right? Kind of real, go real slow in your pocket. I can't find the right car. Oh, look, you already paid for it. Oh, that's great. A little T-Rex arm action. You can't quite reach the bill. Oh, you got it quicker than I did. We've all seen that, done that, been there. It's kind of funny at a, at a restaurant table. It's not as funny when we're talking about using the gifts of the Spirit in this room. They'll get it. Man, I trust Pastor Matt. He's, he's going to get it. If I just wait right here, someone else will get it. Oh, God, please let someone else get it. I don't know if you've ever prayed that. I don't know if you've ever thought that. The Lord is trying to encourage us here to operate rightly so that we can rid ourselves of all the foreign God, the asterisks, and commit ourselves to the Lord and serve Him only. When we get close, when we get to end tonight here in just a few minutes, one of the things that's going to help you to not shrink back and let and lay back is to make sure that you don't have any areas where you still have idolatry, where you still have thoughts of the world, where you still have your own desires that are being paramount in you. And your own desires may not feel greedy to you, but they could keep you from doing the will of the Lord. Your own desires of of wishing that someone else would go before you and use their gifts. How about you let the Lord use you the way that He designed you? The way that He sees fit. Commit yourself to the Lord and serve Him only and He will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. So the Israelites put away their bales and their asterisks and served the Lord only. Is this amazing? This is after 20 years, right? They had the presence of God with them for 20 years. And they still had to go, whoop, guess I ought to put that bail away. I guess I ought to put this aside. By the way, it says that they put it away. You know what that phrase is? It's the same phrase that we see in Exodus chapter 3. You know what happened is happening in Exodus 3? There's a burning bush. 
There's a bush that's on fire, but not being consumed. And Moses sees it and he turns, he turns aside to go see it. In this case, they were turning away from the bales. It's that idea of turning towards or away from something. They had to turn away from it. They had to leave those things. They had to put them away. Just put it far away. In Moses' case, he's seeing there's something going on and he's like, yeah, let me put this away so that I can go and do what the Lord has for me to do. Let me encourage you. This church is so well trained and has such a good heart. When we open up the altars, we don't even have to open up the altars and people come down. I love that about our church. I mean, I love it. If you only come down to turn away from something and don't turn towards something, you have not yet actually fully repented. To turn away is part of repentance. To turn towards something else, to do, to actively go after something, is what the Lord is trying to do in our midst. You've got to turn away. Absolutely. Put those things away and do it now. And then like Moses, you've got to look into what God is doing. Because you know what? I think the point of Exodus 3, besides getting a glimpse into what the Lord is doing, I think we are supposed to be the burning bushes. We are supposed to be the ones that are on fire, but not being consumed, that cause other people to look at us and go, what is going on here? That tribulation that's going on with Lighthouse Ministries, how is that? But they're not getting consumed. The difficulties that go on in your life. The challenges that go on in your life. The failures that go on in your life. It is supposed to be that way. So people can see that we are on fire, but not being consumed. We want to get away from it. We want to stand outside of the bush and say, God, please bring it to me. Please bring your fire to me. You're supposed to be the this place where God can inhabit and fill with his fire. That's what you're supposed to be. That's what you're supposed to be doing. Back to 1 Samuel. Then Samuel said, Assemble all, the, all Israel at Mizpah, and I will intercede with the Lord for you. When they assembled at Mizpah, they drew water and poured it out before the Lord. On that day they fasted, and there they confessed. They fasted, and there they confessed. Fasting and prayer should be a a part of our walk. Fasting. And they confessed. We have sinned against the Lord. And Samuel was the leader of Israel at Mizpah. That word is also translated as he was the judge. We're going through the book of Judges, the Shofatim. This is the Shofat, the judge of Israel. When the Philistines heard that Israel had assembled at Mizpah, the rulers of the Philistines came up to attack them. And when the Israelites heard of it, they were afraid because of the Philistines. Anytime you start getting serious in the Lord, anytime you start pressing in, of course there's going to be attacks. My son walked into our study time this afternoon. He said, Dad, I'm starting to walk in your footsteps. And I said, "Uh, what do you mean, son? He said, yeah, my computer's freaking out when I try to open the Bible program. I'm like, amen. Thinks that it should be easy? Yeah, the enemy's always attacking. He's just trying to slow us down. We're not even going to let that bother us. Not even a little bit. We're going to keep pressing forward, asking, seeking, knocking. When the Israelites heard of it, they were afraid because of the Philistines. They said to Samuel, do not stop crying out to the Lord our God for us, that he may rescue us from the hand of the Philistines. My friends, don't stop crying out. Don't stop asking. Don't stop seeking. Don't stop knocking. Continue to do so. Then Samuel took a suckling lamb and offered it up as a whole burnt offering. To the Lord. He cried out to the Lord on Israel's behalf and the Lord answered him. There has to be sacrifice for the Lord to answer you rightly. While Samuel was sacrificing the burnt offering. Everybody see that? While he was doing it. While you're making your sacrifice unto the Lord. While you're in the midst of a covenant kind of moment in Genesis. There's always going to be the birds of prey that are around. While you're making the sacrifice to the Lord. The Philistines drew near to engage in battle. Yeah, always when you're at your weak, always when you're at your most vulnerable. But that day the Lord thundered with loud thunder against the Philistines and threw them into such a panic that they were routed before the Israelites. (laughs) It's funny because it actually doesn't mention lightning, but it just mentions thunder. 
rattled them to their core. An entire army that ran away because of thunder. Come on now. Verse 11, the men of Israel rushed out of Mizpah and pursued the Philistines, slaughtering them along the way to a point below beth Car. Verse 12, then Samuel took a stone. Everybody say a stone. And set it up between Mizpah and Shen. He named it Ebenezer. Ebenezer. Saying, thus far has the Lord helped us. Here's something that I, that I hope that I can communicate to you over the next few minutes. Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mizpah and Shen. By the way, as we were reading verses earlier... As we're talking about verses of the Lord being our help, you know what's in every passage that we read as well? There's talk of a rock. There's talk of the Lord being our rock. There's talk of a stone that's being there. And it's, it's interesting because we get here, Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mizpah and Shin. He named it Ebenezer. Let me, let me do a quick couple of definitions for you to see what, what Ebenezer is in between. Mizpah, it means it's a lookout. It means it's a watchtower. It means that it's a witness pile. As in, we can go back and we can look. We're not going to take time now, but Bethel, Jacob was there. He had his head on a rock. And what did he do after he realized that the Lord's presence was there? He built a stack of stones and said, this right here is going to be a memorial for God being here. That place was from that moment forward called Bethel, even though it had formerly been called Luz. That's Genesis 28. When Moses is sitting there in Exodus 17 and he has Aaron and her on either side holding his hands up, the rock that he is on, do you know what he calls that place? He uses that rock and says, Yahweh Nisi, the Lord is my banner. When we reach into the heavens and hold on to what he has, that rock there marks that place. Joshua, as he's going through the Jordan River, there's a pile of stones. There's a memorial place right there in the river, as well as on the side as they finish. In the midst of our storm and as we pass through it, we can set up pillars for the Lord. We can look back and we can know. You know why they were supposed to do these things? At the end of Joshua, there's another stone that was acted as a witness. Do you know why you do a stone As a memorial, because these things are supposed to last for eons. You didn't just write it on something that could, that could be consumed over a short amount of time. You put stones there to say, this is a monument to what the Lord has done. When you go to Israel now, you go to Jerusalem, just outside of Jerusalem. On the Mount of Olives, you can see graves by the thousands. And on top of each grave are rocks. Jewish people are so smart. They want a rock as a memorial that they visited their family. Not just flowers, as precious as that is. They wanted a rock because they wanted the rock to stay. Hey, we believe that there's a resurrection is coming. We know that a resurrection is coming and we stand with you. Here's a rock. It's not nearly as pretty, but it sure is more effective. So we're from we're in between a place called a watchtower. Let me talk about the endpoint. The endpoint is Shin. Like the Hebrew letter is supposed to mark teeth. It means tooth or a rocky crag. So they were between a monument, a pile of rocks, maybe where their walk started with the Lord, and they were looking forward to, a t- to, the, to the tooth rock that they could all look at and go, yeah, that's the destination. That's a familiar destination. Maybe when we're walking fully in God's calling, when we've received that resurrection power, we see that. We know where we've been, but you know what you need in between? You need an Eben Ezer. You need a stone of help. Ezer, we use that word all the time around here. This is an Eben Ezer. So somewhere between where we started and the destination that we can all see and is all identifiable to us, we need an Ebenezer. 
We need a rock, a stone of help in the presence of God. Man, what a beautiful thing that we're seeing here. That he is, in fact, our strong tower. Turn to Hebrews chapter 7. Hebrews chapter 7. We're going to wrap this up. Because I want to get to some worship. So that we can demonstrate. So that we don't just are people. That we're not just people who hear the word. But we get an actual chance to put it into practice. Hebrews chapter 7. Verse 23. Are you there with me? Now there have been many of these priests. Since death prevented them from continuing in office. But because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely. Come on, somebody say, he will help me. He He is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Wow. Leave that on the screen for a second. He is able to save. He is able to help us. There's not going to be a point where his arm is too weak to hold you. There's not going to be a time where his eyes don't see you where you are. He is able to save completely, totally, absolutely. In every way, he is able to save those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. I think that as we continue to pray for our team, as they travel through country after country, I think we're going to learn a little bit of what it's like for Jesus to intercede for us. I think that as we're faithful to do this night after night and day after day, I think the Lord is going to start doing this. While we're focused there, He's going to help us here. While we're focused on them, praying that God make His gifts manifold in their life, that He make them strong, that He make them discerning, you know what I think is going to happen? I think He's going to start doing that in our midst as well. Come on now. As we pray for miracles to start taking place there, I'm expecting miracles here. As we're praying for discernment there, I'm expecting discernment here. As we're praying for His presence to be there, I'm expecting his presence to be not just here, but in each and every one of them. He is the Ebenezer, the stone of help that we need. Come on, somebody say, he will help me. me. Turn to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Let's look at verse... 31, 31. What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? If God is going to help us, who can stop us? If God is for us, it doesn't matter how far you have to go because he is going to help you to get there. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also along... With him, graciously give us all things. How will he not help us? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. It should help you to know that he's not just going to help you, but he is already interceding for you. He ever lives to make intercession for us. How crazy is that? Jesus Christ, the risen Savior, the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, is praying for you. He's praying for me. How dare I walk timidly before Him? How dare I walk cowardly before him. He's praying for me and he's going to help me. Say it with me. He will help me. me. Revelation 19. Verse 11. I saw heaven standing open. And there before me was a white horse whose rider is called... 
faithful and true. Rome, uh, Revelation chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1, verse 5. Let's do verse 4. John, to the seven churches in the province of Asia, grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come. Means it doesn't matter when in time we are because he is with us to help us. And from the seven spirits before his throne. And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, the ruler of the kings of the earth. We have a powerful God that we should have ultimate faith in because he is faithful. As long as we keep asking and seeking and knocking, we will get where we're supposed to go. Those of you called to the mission field and ministry in this place, you will get where you need to go, but you've got to start moving in a way that allows him to actually help you. You've got to actually start walking and saying, Lord, I'm going to trust you. I may take baby steps, but I'm going to take steps. I'm going to move in the direction. I don't feel encouragement. I don't feel oppressing, but I know what's right. I've taken steps before, Lord, and it seems like I'm not getting any closer. My encouragement to you tonight, keep taking steps. Maybe you're like the men in Kiriath, Jerem, and after 20 years, it takes you taking steps for things to start happening in your life. Abraham had to wait 25. Paul went out and was away from people developing this revelation for at least 14 years. <laughs> oh yeah, we want it to come quickly and we want it to come our direction. That's not the kind of person that I'm going to be. That's not the church that we're going to have. And I know, because I know your hearts. Turn to Luke chapter 11 as we get ready to wrap this up. Luke chapter 11. We're going to finish where we started. Let's look at verse 9. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. You know how? Because he's going to help you. Seek and you will find. You know how you're going to find it? Because he's going to help you if you're seeking. Knock and the door will be open to you. You know how the door is going to be open? He's going to help you if you'll keep knocking. If you're faithful, if you walk forward, if you're doing what he's telling you to do in the face of all adversity, in the face of all discouragement, if you're willing to look like a fool to prepare now like Noah, How many years did Noah take building the ark? Over a hundred years to build the ark. How foolish do you think he looks? He looked to the people around him. No more foolish than we look to the people around us. Why do y'all do it the way that you do it? Because we've been given a way of life. And we're just going to keep working at it. Because it's producing fruit. We've got the Vincents. We've got the Brassos that just left Tuesday. We've got other families that we're sending. But you know what we need beyond that? We need the men and and women in this room to take your place in the kingdom. Come on, somebody say, "He he will help me. For everyone who asks, receives. He who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? (laughs) I needed to hear about an Ebenezer tonight. About a stone of help that God sets up somewhere in between where we've started and where we're going to end up. In the Newer Testament, we see that this same idea is given to us in the Holy Spirit. The helper, the comforter, the one who's going to be our teacher, the one who's going to be our guide, the one who comes with the spirit of truth. That Holy Spirit is here to help us. That if we ask, if we seek, if we knock, 
Even evil people will give good gifts to their children. How much more will the Father help us? How much more will the Father to help you to become what you are designed to become in this church, in your home, through the power of His Holy Spirit? Stand with me tonight.